Dementia comes from the Latin word demons. It literally means to be out of your mind. The very word creates a stigma. And indeed, from the very first of a diagnosis of any dementia disorder, it can be frightening, not only for the patient, but for the circle of family and friends. Life expectancy is often lowered to only six to 10 years in that time. Will they forget who their loved ones even are? What quality of life is possible? The debate even rages about assisted suicide. With our aging population, the cases of those living with dementia doubles every 20 years, so that in Canada by 2030, almost a million people will be living with it. This episode of the Mental Health Podcast is a very special one, one I might even say a very emotional one. My guest isn't a doctor or a researcher, but rather someone who is actually living with dementia. What's it like? What are the frustrations? Is there even a possibility of hope? You are going to hear it in her own words. You will hear the entire interview unedited. I've even left in a phone call that interrupted us because every single moment of what you're about to hear gives us an incredible and unique look inside this cognitive decline. Dementia from the inside, B's story, right now on the Mental Health Podcast. Beatrice Cradenhoff lives in a long-term care home in a village east of Toronto. B has a dementia disorder, but she uses it to lobby for better services for others just like her. And she makes no apologies for being forgetful or even for the tremors that affect everything, including her voice. Her message is more important than even the most sophisticated of research right now. Uh, hello, B. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Well, Kevin, it's wonderful to see you, and this is a wonderful opportunity for educating the public. There is so much that people and even specialists don't know about the brain. I'd like to call it the last frontier in medicine. <laughs> Let's begin with the fact you are speaking to me so often when a loved one is diagnosed with any dementia disorder, they're hidden away. Uh, we don't talk to them. Why are you talking to me? For that reason. Historically, that is what's happened to us. And I think we're trying to break the stigma because I don't know why it's a stigma. There's a stigma to it. I think as a community, those of us living with dementia really want to get the public to overcome that and realize we do have a role to play, however small or large it is. Um, we used to very much, the more the memory problem, the more we would kind of shove them in a corner and that is something that really has to stop. 
not only for the good of um, say the research part of it but also for us living with dementia we feel better if we are useful if we even feel useful we within ourselves i think know what we can and can't do and i really feel as long as i am able to i would like to speak for those who can no longer do so all right let's talk about your diagnosis when did it happen and, and i believe actually the first diagnosis was early alzheimer's yeah that's right that's originally what my specialist in hamilton said and i queried it because being a nurse i have taken care of some patients who had alzheimer's and personally i didn't feel i presented that way at all and she said well we're diagnosing earlier and earlier and so many people now get diagnosed before the obvious signs that we're used to um, set in. And so I took that. I thought, well, she must be right. Um, so she wanted to see me again in six months. And as the time went on, she realized as well that I was not a typical early onset Alzheimer's. There was definitely dementia, but it wasn't, didn't present like an Alzheimer's. And um, then she had said, well, you know, B, have you ever had a brain injury? And I said, oh, yes, I was hit by a car when I was nine. And um, after that, I really couldn't seem to do much math anymore. Um, and she said, oh my goodness, why didn't you tell me this before? And I said, well, you didn't ask. And it didn't <laughs> even, you know, those of us living with dementia really become very, um, oh, I, I can't remember the word, but, oh gosh, see, this is, this is, <laughs> Well, living with my dementia can do it. Drives you crazy. No, don't get frustrated here. Take your time. Save space. And finally said, okay, then I know what it is you have. This stems from when you were hit by a car. Wow. And it just really surprised me. Um, and, and yet when I thought through of it later, I thought, well, yes, that, that, that can make sense. There are many people who have had brain injuries and they don't show until later mm -hmm. on. 
And so she decided that I had frontal temporal dementia. So what was it like sitting there across from the doctor hearing that diagnosis? Oh, that wasn't the half of it. She had a bunch of students in another room that she called in to watch my reaction. Oh, my. When I heard the news. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyhow, um, it was actually to the point where I knew something was wrong. And to actually hear a diagnosis was kind of like a relief that we actually knew what it was that I had. But again, I'm not presenting the same as that either because in another room was my husband, my ex, and my children. And they told me later on that when she left me to go to their room to talk with them, she told them that I had probably eight to 10 years before I would pass. When was that? 30 years ago. <laughs> Well, boy, have you proven them wrong. So how did this happen? I mean, you do have an incredibly strong spirit. And That's outlook. part of it. <laughs> I refuse to let it bring me down. I started having these feelings of, oh, my gosh, I have just that much time left. There is so much I want to do for the community. And the... Niagara Alzheimer's Society, I must say, they were wonderful. And they helped me, and they helped me get in touch with people that mattered um, politically. and just helped me feel totally loved and supported. They understood. It was really, um, they really did a lot of help. I really, really think everyone who has been having thoughts in their head about, well, Crumb, this is a little more than just a bad memory. What's going on? Ask them to, their doctor, to send them to either Alzheimer's Society or a memory clinic close to them because that's how you get the ball started. Um, now, I want to get into that in a little bit. For those who um, have been oh, there's your phone. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No worries. I'm so sorry. No, don't worry about it. Answer it. Hello? Hi. All right. So this is uh, B's sister-in-law calling her. She's one of the uh, caregivers, and I think she's calling about groceries. Oh, okay. That's no problem. No problem, Janice. Listen, you won't believe this, but I am on a podcast right now. <laughs> oh, whatever you think. Okay. Bye bye. Oh my gosh, this is Alzheimer's life, or I mean, dementia life, people. <laughs> well, let's talk about your family and others around you. Now, after the diagnosis, what happened? Did relationships change? This is hard to say, but yes and no. For my children, it was the same. They were all adults already. And, um, but I ended up having to leave my husband. Let's just leave it at that. All right. Let's just leave it at that. No um, problem. It's not easy to do with situation. It is something that it's relationships do change. But you know, very slowly your world gets smaller. And it's really to no fault of their own, it's life. I, of course, couldn't afford anything when I was on my own. It was, I had disability. And it should... made it very hard to get to get through with bills and food and things. Now we should mention you're in a wheelchair. Your mobility is limited. You also can get very very tired. So if you want to stop at any point, just let me know. I I would I would so much like to speak faster so you can get things out better. But my brain has slowed down. I have demented. I have. Tremors now that have attacked also my vocal cord, so it becomes more difficult. My voice has changed. Um, it becomes more difficult to speak. Um, but you know, friends, oh, let's go out for supper, everybody. So we pile in a cart and we go out for supper until I couldn't afford it anymore. So I would make excuses to them. I'm really sorry I can't do it tonight. And of course, they don't have money problems, so it doesn't sink through, I think, with a lot of them that she, she's uh, having trouble she can't pay for these things anymore. Want to go see a movie? No, I better not. Um, 
slowly your name starts to get left out of gatherings. I have never felt bitter about that. One thing I always repeat to myself in my brain is, I want to stay better, not bitter. On bad days, it's difficult to not have negative thoughts start pummeling in your brain. But for the most part, I've been able to knock them out by doing things for the community. Um, nothing makes me happier than to be able to do things that help others. Education, to me, is the biggest thing. I, th I think the word dementia, I hated it, that word when yeah. I was first diagnosed because it was so close to the word demented. And a lot of people to this day, I think, do equate the two. Um, that is the one thing I ask, please don't do that. There's so many of us out there that have dementia, not just Alzheimer's. And we still try and be as useful as we can. And it would be lovely if people would see that. B, for some out there who are newly diagnosed, what do you want to say to them? This is not the end of the world. It's a new chapter in your life. Go to the Alzheimer's Society. They will be so much help. They have classes for newly diagnosed. Um, a lot of the chapters have um, counselors that can come even right to your door to help you along with the process. Um, and just remember the Alzheimer's Society is there not just for the caregivers, they are there for you as well. But always keep in mind, this is going to affect the caregivers as much as it does you. And what do you want to say to them, the caregivers? Remember, when we get to the stage where it's extremely difficult for you, that that is not us, that is the disease. We would never be difficult if we did not have dementia. 
because there's going to be days when we will not have good days. And what do you do? You take it out on the people that are there. I have seen so many family members through nursing come and leave the room crying. We were never allowed to get emotionally involved and stuff, but I was one of those that danced to my own tune. And I would go up to them and give them a hug and say, I understand what you're going through. We nurse day and night too, and we understand how difficult it is for you. I think validation, if a person can give a caregiver validation for their feelings, you don't have to feel guilty if you're upset. That's a natural response for having your life turned upside down as well. Perhaps having been a nurse for as many years as I was helps look at the other side of the, the caregiving side of it. Um, but caregivers, rest assured, you're not the only ones. You go to the Alzheimer's Society if the person you're caring for just doesn't want to. Go yourself because there's many programs for you. I know in, in Welland, now I speak of Welland and for our St. Catharines, unfortunately, because I just moved here a year and a half ago to Newcastle. And there is the Durham Alzheimer's Society, or is it Clarington? No, I think it's Durham. See, I can't get these names straight anymore, and it's so frustrating. Um, so I'm not really up as much on what they have to help, but I know in the Niagara region, they even had hairdressers that would come to a caregiver's home and give them haircuts for either a very big discount or for free, just to have them feel better. It's those little things that affect us and our life will also affect you in a different from the other side of the fence. Allow people to help you. Allow the help. Um, don't be afraid to ask friends, can you come over and maybe watch the patient, whoever. Um, I, I need to go and have a few hours to myself. If that's what it takes for you to feel a little better, do so. Don't feel guilty. Don't. 
there's many out there like you. And, and if you get together with them like, like-minded, you'll get tips, just even validation. Um, the caregivers are, are as important as those who need the care. Yeah. So now let's talk about being out in public. So I sit down beside someone who is in cognitive uh, decline. Now that can be really uncomfortable. How, how do I act? Yeah. You know what? Normal. Normal. If we would like to have a coffee, don't ask the person next to them. Ask you. B, would you like some coffee today? How would you like it? If I find I'm having difficulty with the decision because my decision making is is becoming more difficult, that's that's part of the frontal part. Um, if she turns and looks at her caregiver. Feel free then to listen to the caregiver. But don't ignore us when we're sitting right there. If by chance it's an Alzheimer's person that is having a bad day and thinks perhaps their mother is sitting next to them, don't argue the point. That will make them agitated. Now, again, I'm speaking very generally because there's a, there's over a hundred different types of dementia and different reactions. But for Alzheimer's, I I think if you would not argue the point, the worst thing for you to say would be look at her and say. Your mother's not here. Your mother's been dead for ages. They, in their own re reality, still feel their mother has to be here. So what would be best then would be to say, oh, you know what? She just left for a couple of minutes. She'll be back later. Don't you worry about it. And I think probably in a minute or two, she won't even miss her mother anymore. And that issue will be over. But if you argue the point, it will heighten and escalate and escalate. So just kind of go along with them in a sense. Um, we all like to feel like we're normal. Act normal to us. And if in conversation you have to say something like, oh, remember, you didn't like coffee. Maybe you should make a decision as to what else you would like to drink. Give her the time to make that decision. If she can't and she looks at her caregiver, 
that's another story. Then the caregiver can probably say, you know, she would much prefer tea without sugar. And that would be fine. But to have a person feel left out of humanity is a terrible thing. So don't be afraid to start a conversation with them. Now, personally, myself, I was asked by Global News when they did a piece on me, um, I guess about five years ago, they asked me, are there any questions you think shouldn't be asked of people with dementia. And I don't think they liked my answer because they left that out. <laughs> and what was your answer? <laughs> there is no question too stupid to ask me. <laughs> if you don't have questions, I'm bothered because then I don't feel you're learning from the situation. I will answer anything because I feel that's educational. And if you feel you can't ask a question, you're not educating the public. Now, not everybody may feel that way. I'm just, this one is speaking for myself. I've always been open about it. I have never hidden it. And our group that we had at Alzheimer's Niagara, we all said the same thing. Oh, I've lost it, it. <laughs> uh, That's okay. Now, tell me what just happened. I, I get all of a sudden, and now this, this is bloody and gory, but it's just, this is how my brain works. It totally shuts down on a dime, immediately, boom. L literally, like a guillotine, chops it off. It's not like it slowly goes foggy. It chops it right off in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a word. And I can't remember what I spoke about, what the question was, what, whatever. Um, How does that make you feel? Oh, Kevin, I'm so frustrated so many times in the day that I have to tell myself, okay, B, let it rest. This is now what happens to you. Leave it. Just go on into something. And the weirdest thing, you know how people say, oh, I'll wake you up at three in the morning when I remember. I have insomnia terribly. You have no idea how many times at two, three in the morning, there's a bubble that bursts in my brain. The, the, the one <laughs> I equate to, a, to that chop 
And the other one to me is like a bubble that's boiling that bursts. And that thought that I had been looking for hours ago, all of a sudden hits me just as quick as it left. Um, the brain is weird. Let me tell you, I wish we knew so much more about it. But naturally, I've never called my friends at three in the morning. <laughs> so does that mean you're going to call me at three o'clock in the morning when you have the answer? Because I mean, it's okay. <laughs> because that's fine. <laughs> A pleasure. No, I would never do that. But literally, that's what happens to me sometimes. I call it a bubble. Something is holding it back and that bubble and all of a sudden it bursts and that thought comes to me. It, it's, it's odd. It's a weird sensation. And that is as frustrating to me sometimes as having it cut off the way it is. Oftentimes it's words. Oftentimes it's ideas. I do have more and more difficulty with abstract ideas. Things that are right in front of me are better for me to deal with. Um, talking to you on Zoom is so much better for me than talking to someone on the phone that I don't know, I don't have a picture of their face. And so my brain has got to work harder. While they're talking, I'm still thinking, well, what did they look like? And I'm, um, okay, now, and the worst is doing multiple people on a phone call because I can't quite hear which person's talking. By the time I've got it figured out, I've lost what they're talking about. Um, that makes it very difficult. There, there are so many scenarios through the day where the general public takes for granted as they don't even think about it because it happens and, and they do and whatever. That doesn't come natural to us anymore that we have to work on. And then with me personally, not only does it affect my brain, but physically, very, very much in sync with my brain. Um, after yesterday's podium, uh, the day before, I mean, yeah, that was from a forum where I first met you. Uh, it was about 40 people there at the time. Yes. And, and that becomes, I love doing it. I will never stop until I literally, I can't go anymore. But the next day, yesterday, was a recovery day is what I call them. I call them recovery days because... It's literally like I have run 20 miles physically is how my body reacts to having 
had my brain taxed like that. And then I know that's only for so long. And then that goes away. And like today, I'm wonderful. No, I'm not. I feel wonderful. Put it there. Oh, you're wonderful. I'm wonderful. <laughs> you are. <laughs> What's your legacy going to be? What do you want it to be? I have thought of that before, oddly enough. I cannot figure it out. I would love for my legacy part of it to be she never let it stop her going as much as she could. She taught as much as she could. And then I have the maternal side, which says you are a mother of four children in five years' time. And you made it through that. You can make it through this. <laughs> I, I don't know. Legacy is hard. Because I don't think of myself as other people thinking of what I do. It's, it's hard. But before I'm done with life, I feel I have so much to do for the dementia community that I hope I can do before I crossed that river. Yes. Yes. I will not stop until I'm stopped. Well, B, you've already taught me so much in this very short time. And I, I think maybe that's your legacy. You've drawn back the curtain on the stigma of dementia and you've let us know that there is still a human being up there yes kevin that was wonderful oh i read it on a cushion i read it on a cushion somewhere <laughs> if i could get lots of people to say that and take that to heart um I am an open book. I'm willing for anybody to read my chapter. You know, it's that's how people learn. That's how people learn. Well, Don't ever be ashamed of having dementia. That's what it was. Oh my gosh. That's what, what I was going to tell you. And that. Ah, uh, there's the bubble bursting. My bubble already just went. We have all decided in our groups when we got together with just people with dementia that we would never allow ourselves to be ashamed of our diagnosis. We would put it right out there in front if we met people that we would say, 
I am a person attempting to live well with dementia. I may be a little slow with answering, but just please have some patience because I will answer anything that you ask. And believe me, we have all done it in grocery stores, in bookshops, everywhere that I go. They're going to see that I'm a little different in answering questions. And if I give them the reason, they'll be much more comfortable with it and learn at the same time. Maybe they will even ask some questions and I'll have an opportunity to make it a learning opportunity for them. That was the bubble that burst. <laughs> well, now you don't have to call me at three in the morning unless you want to. <laughs> That's good. There is a very big reason that you are are still here with us and, and I hope it lasts for years and years to come. Thank you, B, for being you. Well, thank you, Kevin, for the opportunity. I'm very grateful. Well, stay with me. Coming up next is our coping segment, which will center, of course, around dementia and memory loss. I'll also tell you about our next segment, which will actually be a debrief and follow-up to what you just heard. Mental illness can be a dark and lonely place. At Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences, we're working to draw back the curtains and let the light in. We have a highly trained team working with patients every day on their road to recovery. Our world-class researchers are making great strides in revolutionizing mental health care. Our innovations are changing how care is delivered. We know you want to be a member of this caring community. For ways you can demonstrate your support for those alone in the dark, Go to ontarioshores.ca and click on donate. Demonstrate your support for mental health. Join the Ontario Shores family and champion for a change. I know the path we walk together begins and ends with This message brought to you by the Ontario Shores Foundation for Mental Health. Welcome back. B's story reminds us that our brain and all it does is still a mystery. While there's no cure for cognitive decline, there are ways to delay its onset, even ways to mitigate its effects on our lives. For our coping segment, I was looking for some unknown tricks, like a breathing exercise or even a magic supplement. But all of the literature comes back with the same coping advice when it comes to cognitive decline, healthy living, eating right, exercise, good sleep. But perhaps the most important coping mechanism I can pass on to you, whether you've been diagnosed or not, is to keep your brain active by maintaining a healthy social lifestyle and a robust social lifestyle. Ironic that just the last episode, if you uh, heard it, we spoke of the epidemic of loneliness. All the more reason for us to break that cycle. In that episode, I spoke to a life coach who had six steps you can take to tackle loneliness. The number one step, acknowledge it. Take ownership. Admit that you suffer 
from loneliness. Only then can you actually start to do something about it. I encourage you to listen to episode three, Lonely in a Crowded World, if you haven't already. On our next episode of the Mental Health Podcast, we continue to examine dementia. I'm going to speak with one of the leading experts in the country on the topic. Is there a cure on the horizon? What works? What doesn't? What work is being done right now? Dementia from the inside, part two, next time on the Mental Health Podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Frankish from Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Mental Health Podcast. If you have any thoughts about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email at thementalhealthpodcast at ontarioshores.ca. Please don't be alone. Reach out for professional help. For more resources and advice, check out our website, ontarioshores.ca. The Mental Health Podcast is a production of Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences. I'm Kevin Frankish. Take care of yourself and take care of each other.